say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. Hello everyone and welcome to a new direction. My name is Jay Izzo and oh my gosh do we have a great show. I am telling you what, today is one of those life-changing shows that if, I don't care who you are, all right, this is a, this is a life changer. This isn't just a game changer, this is the changer of your life. It is a show, I don't care who you are, somewhere, I have friends somewhere out there, many of you who have had parents who have been alcoholics, some of you are a recovering alcoholic. Some of you are alcoholics. Some of you have been abused by the abuser. Some of you have been verbally abused, physically abused. Listen, there is things called not just alcohol abuse, there is spiritual abuse. There is so many abuses out there. And you know what? I would be doing a disservice to everybody out there if I don't do this show. And I'm going to tell you something. Jason Romano Yes, that Jason Romano, ESPN former producer Jason Romano, Monday night football game night. Oh, come on. Yeah, he's joining us today. And I'm going to tell you something. He's going to blow your mind with your story. It's absolutely fantastic. You're going to love it. And uh, it, the book is called Live to Forgive Moving forward, when those we love hurt us, man, what a great, great book. I've read it several times. I've shared it with people. It is absolutely phenomenal. And here's what we're going to do, though. You know what? We're going to do what we do every week, right? And you know what that is, right? Every week, before we get to Jason, you know, I walk you through the four areas of your life. And last week, you know, I talked about, you know, how are you training in the four areas of your life? We are four-part people. We are physical people, we are mental people, we are emotional people, and we are spiritual people. You know, and we're only as good as our training is. That's it, right? If you, you know, we talk about physical training, right? And, and, I'm, a, and I'm a guy who loves to physically train, but here's the deal. You've got to be mentally training every day, you've got to be emotionally training every day, and you've got to be spiritually training every single day. Because if you're in the middle of battle, if you're in the middle of the heat, if you're in the middle of stress, if you are in the middle of heated stress, where you're getting pounded on, you're only as good as your training. That's it. So I'm going to ask you all out there on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being my training stinks to 10, my training is unbelievable. How well are you doing physically on that scale of 1 to 10? Right? Listen, there's a lot of excuses we can make, but we all have to take 100% responsibility for who we are, right? The fact of the matter is, just because the gyms aren't open doesn't mean that you can't train. It doesn't mean that you can't work out. It doesn't mean that you can't eat right. It doesn't mean that you can't drink enough water. It doesn't mean that you can't get enough sleep. It doesn't mean that you can't do all the things that you need to do to take care of your body, right? So on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing in your training? And then I want to ask you this. What can you do right now to change it? Because you can't, you can't wait, when you're in battle to change that, you got to start now. So what are you going to do right now to change your your training physically? All right. So there, you got a first number, right? That's your physical number. Second number, mentally. What do I mean by that? How well are you training your mind? What are you reading? What are you consuming? What are you putting into your mind that's helping you grow in wisdom and understanding and knowledge? What are you What are you reading? I'm not just I'm not talking about what you're listening to. 
right? I mean, I, and listen, I think listening to books are great, but what I'm talking about is what are you, what are you consuming in your brain that's actually helping you grow into a better thinking person, right? And, and how's that training going? Because you've got to push yourself. You've got to push your mind in the same way you've got to push your body. You have to be able to push your mind. You have, to, you have to read the tough things. You have to read hard things. You know what? I've got to tell you something. Live to Forgive may be a hard book for you to read. You remember what, do you remember what happened last week? We talked to Green Bray, you know, Major Jason Van Camp last week. Do you remember what he said? You've got to embrace the discomfort. That very thing that you don't want to do, that's the thing you've got to be doing. And so I would really, a book like Live, Live to Forgive is a great book to challenge you, to challenge the way you think. So you got two numbers, a physical number, a mental number. And then the emotional number. You know, Jason talked about in his book, uh, he's going to talk about this today, a lot of emotional things that he had to deal with and how he struggled along the way, you know, coming to grips with his own emotions with his dad. Because there was a period of time there where, you know, he... He didn't know where he was at emotionally. He, his emotions swung from, I wish my dad was gone, to I want my dad to live, to I want my dad to, I, I want to have a relationship with my dad. That's, that's, man, that whole characteristic that Jason's going to talk with us today, that, that's what we call emotional intelligence. That's emotional growth. That's an emotional challenge. And whatever you're facing today emotionally, Right? You have to look at those things as part of your emotional challenge. And so on a scale of 1 to 10, how's your emotional training coming? And it reflects two things. One is how well are you able to control your emotions. And then two, how well are you able to actually tap into the emotions of other people and understand those emotions, have empathy, and have compassion. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1, I'm not very good at that. 10, I'm outstanding. Where would you put yourself? So you have three numbers, which leads us to the fourth area, and that's the spiritual area. And listen, spiritual area is really pretty easy for me to just help you understand. Here's what it works. If you remove the physical, mental, and emotional, and you remove all that, whatever you have left, that's the spiritual piece. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I, I read recently about the spiritual area. We all have a spirit inside of us. You'll hear people talk about, you know, uh, that we've got the spirit that lives inside of us, that drives us, or that connects us peacefully or connects us with joy. Or, and I didn't say happiness, I said joy. So you got to know the difference. And peace. And, and I, heard, I heard and I read this. It said, you know what? Being spiritual is not going to church and thinking about kayaking. <laughs> Being spiritual is going kayaking and thinking about God. That's being spiritual. So whatever that is for you, how is your training going spiritually? I have some people who say it's meditation. I have some people who say it's nature. And then I have people who do say it's God. What, how is it working for you? How's the training going on a scale of 1 to 10? By the way, you've got four numbers, right? You think of those four numbers as the legs of a chair. If the chair is uneven, it's bad on your posture and it's hard to get settled. And it's hard to... It's hard to sit. By the same token, if the chair is too low, what happens is we can't eat at a normal table. So the whole idea is to bring up all four areas of your life. Bring them up in balance. And then not only bring them up in balance, but bring them to the right level, at your highest level. It's start your training today. Start it now. What can you do? What can you change? Speaking of somebody who loves talking about change, his name is Jason Romano. Jason is a speaker, author, media consultant, church leader with 20 years of professional broadcasting experience, 
On the regional and network level, for 17 years, Jason was a senior manager and producer at ESPN. He has created and produced content for shows such as SportsCenter. May have heard of that. Monday Night Football. May have heard of that. Mike and Mike in the Morning. We all have heard of that. Sunday NFL Countdown. Come on, man. You had to have heard of that. How about College Game Day, MLB's All-Star Game? And you know what? During his time at ESPN, Jason produced content for ESPN's radio, which he loved. Um, and you know what? He grew the talent, producing department, building relationships with some of the biggest names in sports, as well as create and manage the NFL on ESPN's social media channels, growing them to over 6 million followers. Jason has spoken to thousands of people at conferences, colleges, companies, and churches. He's a big advocate of social media, having built up such a huge following with ESPN and his own personal social feeds, as well as his own personal brand. Listen, he is so easy to reach out. You can reach out to him, but he's absolutely an outstanding guy. He is the author of this book, and he's got a brand new book coming out also called The Uniform of Leadership, but we're going to talk today about Live to Forgive. So everybody out there, please welcome to A New Direction, and welcome to the show, Jason Romano. Welcome, brother. Jay, thank you, buddy. So good to be with you. That was quite the introduction. I appreciate it, my friend. <laughs> you are so welcome. So, <laughs> uh, th- listen, this book, I, I, this book, Live to Forgive. I am, uh, I have written you. I have told you I'm a big fan. I am, um, the, the book broke me down. I'm going to be really uh, be honest about that. There was a point, uh, I dictate the book out loud when I do the notes of the book. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a point when I'm dictating the book out loud because my typing, quite frankly, is slower than my dictation. And I'm reading these things out loud and I'm finding tears rolling down my eyes. And then, of course, what you do is you, of course, you have to go ahead and poke me right in the chest and go, so what's hurting inside you, big fella? <laughs> and I'm like going, <laughs> I'm like going, wow, I, I wasn't ready for that. But it is a great book. It is a book. Thank you. That um, I believe is it touches people. This book uh, is really a book about you and your father and the relationship um, between you and your dad and actually <laughs> you and the bottle. <laughs> Can we say that? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. So let's let's just start where it all starts in chapter one. It's called Finding Your Father's Secret: The Importance of Feeling. And it starts, uh, you're all excited, summer 1984, dad takes you to Ticketmaster, it's the Giants versus the Eagles, of course, dad's a Giants fan, you're an Eagles fan, what happened? Well, I'll preface it by saying I'm not an Eagles fan. My brother is actually the Eagles fan, and he would he would yell <laughs> oh, at right. me. You're a Cowboys I, guy. You're a Cowboys guy. I am a Cowboys guy. So if I just rolled off the tongue and be like, yep, I'm an Eagles fan, uh, my brother would like come after me right now because he's an Eagles <laughs> fan. Imagine that household, Eagles, Cowboys, Giants. It was uh, it was quite the household growing up. You, but were, you were missing the Redskins in that house. Right? I, I know. It's the only team we're missing. It's crazy. <laughs> but as a kid, I really didn't care I mean, I would love to have seen Dallas, but you take a kid to a game, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And when it was Eagles and Giants and it was my brother's team and my dad's team, I was so excited, all ready to go. I was 10, 11 years old. We're talking about the fall of 84 here. And it was my first game. And I remember vividly as I was writing the book too, the, the memories start coming back of uh, – driving down to Philadelphia from Albany, New York, where I'm from, and the anticipation and the excitement and 
having that ticket, which was so hard to get. Football tickets were not easy to get. Uh, they aren't easy today. And, and back then it was hard too. And getting to park in the parking lot where all the fans are and then walking in and that long walk from the parking lot to the, to the, to the stadium, the old vet veteran stadium in Philadelphia. And you go inside and all of a sudden, all you see is a sea of green, not just green in terms of the fans, but like the giant amounts of green on the turf and the football field. It's just insanely big. And it was amazing. I mean, it's, it's everything you want to remember as far as an experience as a kid go to their first football game um but quickly and maybe you want me to just go here maybe you don't you can kind of take me there if you want quickly that turned from excitement to confusion to fear and uh ultimately to tears and 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 a very scary drive back unfortunately you know what happened though was this is your first experience though with uh, you know, seeing your dad at drink and understanding it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been around him drinking before. Didn't know that it was, uh, it didn't know that it was going to lead to, to, uh, bad circumstances or terrible outcomes. You know, I remember being six years old and going Jay to the bar with my dad and he would give me some quarters and buy me a soda and I would go play pinball and, that wasn't a bad experience for me, even though my dad was drinking and probably, you know, drink too much. But it was at this moment when I saw him drinking and it was affecting me, it was affecting everyone around him. And that was where it got really scary. That's why I talk about the secret that finding out your dad's secret, because the secret wasn't that he drank. The secret was that he had a drinking problem mm. and that it was affecting and causing a lot of people pain, including himself. But the one thing that you describe, the one thing that you describe in this, though, is that his personality changed. Yes. Jekyll and Hyde. So my dad, if you met my dad today, and even if you met him back then and he was sober, very charming guy, nice guy, a lot of fun, loves to laugh, huge sports fan. But once he drank, it was he turned into a different person. And he became, uh, and sports usually was revolved around his drinking, unfortunately. So that's where I, I equate sports, my dad and his alcoholism almost together as one. And when he drank, it, it turned, he turned into a monster, like a real angry, uh, screaming, yelling, verbally abusive, never physically abusive, but verbally abusive and saying things that. Uh, I mean, as I got older, certainly into my 20s and 30s and things I heard from him when he was drinking, I, I could never repeat to my worst enemy. Like, they were horrible things. So that's what happened. And that was the first time I remember seeing my dad turn into um, a different person. And it was a scary, scary moment for me, for my brothers, for my stepmother. I mean, it was it was pretty scary. So, you know, one of the things you say in that day is that that was the day that should have brought us all closer together, but instead it helped create instability and insecurity in me and my brother's psyches. Yeah. And, um, but the key, the key for you was your love of sports was the very thing that was actually kind of tearing it all apart. Yeah. I say the very thing that should have brought us together actually 
like breaks us uh, and, and and separated us and, and tore us apart because sports was was and honestly still to this day, Jay, sports is the common denominator with my relationship with my father. Um, you know, the last few months without sports in the middle of a pandemic, you know, we have had to try and figure out other things to talk about. But that always, even in the midst of our relationship, as we started to reconcile, and I know we'll get to that, we, we still talk about sports. So the very thing that should have brought us together in, in many ways did when we were little just tore us apart because the only time I would see my dad uh, in the state he was in usually revolved around sports. Like we would go and watch games on Sunday and be excited to sit there and watch a football game with him or a baseball game. And if he was drinking, it usually ended up in a really bad experience that somebody was going to be crying. Other people are going to be walking out of the room and he was going to be playing the the victim role of why are you all upset at me? I didn't do anything. And it was just a really, it should have been a good, good memory. And it, it just wasn't. Yeah, you do have, you do have kind of this, fortunately for you, you have this kind of this rock uh, behind you and that's um, Nana and Pa, your <laughs> grandma and grandfather. They were kind of like this, this center rock during all the turmoil, right, that you could kind of hold on to. So describe, you know, you know how you gravitated, you know, because here your dad was all over the place. And yet your your grandmother and grandfather were kind of where you were able to kind of have some stability, right? Yeah. So I want to give a shout out to my mom, too, because she was she's a rock as well. But my mom was working three jobs when we were little just to keep food on the table because my dad was nowhere to be found or if he was. It wasn't in a good place. So my grandparents were the ones that my mom entrusted us to go to and kind of they would watch us and take care of us and take us to the movies on the weekends and to restaurants and and to you know sporting events and to the store as kids and get all the toys we wanted. They spoiled the heck out of us. And me and my brothers, my two brothers, were there are, uh, are their only three grandchildren that they had. So they have one child, my dad, and so those three grandchildren for them it's like their third, second, third, and fourth children, and. We didn't appreciate that when we were little because we were just happy that somebody wanted to buy stuff for us and take us to, to go get food and, and all that. Uh, but as we got older, certainly we appreciated all that they sacrificed uh, in their later years to take care of us, to get us whatever we wanted. I mean, when I went to college, my grandmother, grandfather paid basically for my first semester of college, um, first year of college. So they... They were more generous than any two people I've ever known, and not just generous with purchasing and buying, but with their time. And I think they saw their son, my dad, uh, heading down a really bad path, and so they felt responsible that my dad wasn't there for us, so they felt responsible to, to, to pick up slack, and they picked up the slack quite a bit. I'm grateful for them. They're my, you know, they're two of my favorite people ever. My grandfather is my hero, the greatest man I've ever known. And, uh, we miss them, but we, I remember clearly all those times that they took care of us. And, uh, you know, I don't think we would be here and be the people we are. My brothers and I without them. Uh, we're talking with Jason Romano. Uh, the book, uh, is called live to forgive moving forward. When those who love, uh, those we love hurt us. And, um, the book is an outstanding read. You need to pick it up. Um, it's, I'm just telling you, it's, if not for yourself, do it for a friend so that you can learn more about 
um, really the struggles that uh, so many people go through, uh, so many of us go through when we're dealing with people, you know, abusive situations. Um, it's going to really give you a lot of insight, I, I promise you. One of the things that you said is dad's alcoholism pulled me deeper into two realities. You said an external reality, the unresolved issues in my dad's life and the problems they caused for those he loved, which I couldn't control. And then an internal reality, the unresolved issues in my own life and the problems they were causing for me, which I could begin to acknowledge and work through. Talk, talk about those two realities. Yeah, I think, you know, there, it's, I, could, I would even add a third reality, which wasn't in the book, but the reality of my mom and my, my grandparents, but my mom allowing us to have a normal childhood and experience things, right? And my grandmother, too, and grandfather, just taking us to the movies, taking us to the toy store, taking us to dinner. Like, those are just normal things that kid get, kids get to do, going out and playing with your friends, uh, you know, you know, going in the backyard of my grandparents' house and having epic basketball battles with my brothers. You know, that was the sort of regular reality that I remember as of the good side of growing up as a kid. And then there was the dad reality, which was the bad side of the sort of life that we were living. But the internal reality, that didn't really take shape until I recognized 14, 15, 16. And we can all go back to those years as teenagers and as we're starting to mature and get a little older and start to understand things differently than when we were little kids, that's when I really, I, I tell people all the time, my relationship with my dad during those years was very confusing. And I, it's the first time I tell the story in the book of, of uh, getting ready to go to a Mets game with him. I'm a Mets fan. He's a Cardinals fan. And we were going to take a bus trip down. This is probably when I was 14, 15 and you know, we were getting ready to go and he shows up drunk and uh, the night before, so it wasn't even the morning of, and I had such anger towards him. It's the first time I really lashed out at him and for myself played the victim and said, how could you do this to me? How could you let me down? We have a game to go to here. This was supposed to be our moment, our time together, just you and me. And, and you come home drunk. And I remember hiding myself and going into the bathroom, locking the door and just kind of creating this barrier, um, that was, that needed to be created for me right there at that moment with my father. And I was screaming and yelling and, uh, and crying, which very rarely did I ever cry, uh, in terms of emotions for anything during those years. And I was crying so upset. And, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds are pretty selfish kids, selfish people, um, just in general. And I'm sure a lot of that had to do with me being selfish and wanting to have this experience to go to a Mets game. But deep down, this reality, as you talked about, going, down, going on inside of me was a crushed kid who just wanted to have his dad be firm for once in his life. And remember, I had two brothers, so most of what we did was all together. And this was a moment where it was just going to be me and my father, and it was ruined. And I think that's kind of the internal struggle that I battled with and tried to understand and was very confused over for many years during my teenage time, that, that 13 to 17 range. His name's Jason Romano. 
The book's called Live to Forgive, Moving Forward When Those We Love Hurt Us. And you're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, New Direction has a couple sponsors, right? You know, and we love our sponsors. And, you know, Epic Physical Therapy is one of our favorite sponsors. And whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery or maybe you're suffering everyday aches and pains, maybe you're having difficulty performing activities of daily living or unable to perform an athletic activity because you're a professional athlete or you're a high school athlete or a junior high athlete, look, Even if you're just looking to improve how you move and feel, the elite team at Epic Physical Therapy will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored to you, period. With their experience in rehabbing young athletes to elite professional athletes, they really do understand the need to treat the entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So if you're ready for epic relief, epic recovery, and epic results, do not look any further just go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And of course, Linda Craft and Team Realtors. No matter where you're at in the United States or in the world, Linda Craft and her team will help you find the best professional to sell your home or buy your next home. Why can they do that? Well, they're independently owned and operated, meaning they don't belong to any national company. So what they have done is over the course of the last 35 years, they have developed relationships with the best real estate professionals all over the world, which means that they can hook you up with the best professional to help you do what you want to do when it comes to your dreams of home ownership. So here's the thing. For 35 years, their clients keep coming back. And you know what they call them? They call them the legends of customer service. Yep, their customer service is legendary. I didn't say it. They didn't say it. That's what their clients say. So if you're ready for the legends of customer service, why not check out the folks at Linda Craft and team, right? And you can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction uh, with Jason Romano and uh, his book, Live to Forgive. And we're just barely uh, in the first chapter. Right. <laughs> uh, but we're going we're gonna to move ahead. We're going we're gonna to speed his life up. Like, he, like he's, I could, he's probably looking at me going, I don't speed my life up anymore, man. I'm, I, I want it to slow down, right? It's uh, all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you, you know, what's interesting about when we last left you, you were huddled on the bathroom floor and, uh, that actually, that barrier, uh, that you talk about will become a theme actually throughout the entire book because it is, uh, the importance of setting a boundary and you, you know, one of the things as a psychological professional, I love, you know, when you start unfolding people's stories and you go, Wow. How cool is that, that you had a foreshadowing of hiding yourself in a bathroom with a door, setting up a boundary, making the wall, your the physical wall, your boundary, and then having to learn how to set up your own emotional and mental boundaries down the road. And yeah, it, it's funny that's how that worked out. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I no, 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 no. I, I, I just, I just, I found it. I just found it. I was like going... I wonder if he. I wonder if he put that together. That this was a foreshadowing uh, of you know because you do talk a lot about boundaries because dad, as you start to get older, dad starts crossing boundaries for you. Yes. And and you uh, find different bathrooms to hide in is what you do. I mean I mean I, I have no other. I mean it's just the, the analogy just works right because 
So yeah. what what happens is right because dad dad has a way of hurting you right because it's your high school graduation right let's move there it's your high school graduation yeah. your stepmom's there but who wasn't there my my dad and it's funny you know I tell people the four pillars of a person's life are those those moments that you always refer back to, right? So you start with high school graduation, you go to college graduation, you go to your wedding day, and then for me it was when my daughter was born. So those are my four pillar moments, right? And you could throw other things in there, certainly ESPN and things like that, but those four moments are probably the ones that most people would look at and say, well, that's when I graduated high school, graduated college, got married, and had a kid. Like those set your life up in the trajectory you're going to go in all four of those moments my dad was absent or missing and uh, there were times where he was trying to get better in that high school graduation that you brought up jay my dad was in a rehab for the very first time trying to get sober and so that was 1991 that's almost 30 years ago now and he was trying to get you know get better but i didn't see it as him trying to get better. I saw it as him missing my graduation day and I needed my dad to be at my graduation. Right. And so college, same thing. I needed my dad to be there for me in college. He was, you know, not there. I don't remember if he was in a rehab or if he was just having a drinking spell. I certainly remember my wedding day 20 years ago in 1999, uh, 21 years ago when we wanted him there. We were even inviting him to the wedding. And then we had to uninvite him to the wedding. But I wanted my dad at my ma- at my wedding. I mean, you only hopefully get married once. And that's when I wanted him to, to be there and experience that. And he went on a drinking binge four or five days before the wedding. We had to uninvite my dad from my wedding. And then lastly, when my daughter was born, 2004, we were at the hospital. And my dad was at his own hospital. Um, out in New York, which is probably three hours from where I was in Connecticut at the time. And he was in a rehab trying to get better, but missing the birth of our daughter. And, and not to take away anything from my brother having kids, and they both had four kids and have eight kids, and it's amazing. But we went through four years of infertility, and this was a big deal. This right. was a gigantic deal. It's always a big deal. But for us, this was a miracle about to happen because we prayed and prayed for this child. And so you want your dad there. And he wasn't. And everybody else was. My, my wife's parents were there. My wife's sister was there. My mom was there. My brothers were all there. They all drove out to be there for us in our big moment. And my dad wasn't. And so that was kind of this recurring theme. Started through high school and basically... 13, 14 years later, continued when I became a father myself. You make a statement in in this book that I want to throw out at you. You say anger and hatred are okay, but they must be moved through. And I'm just going to follow that up with. if it Often it takes an awareness of the brokenness in ourselves to see the brokenness in others and to meet them in their struggles. The fact was, um, it it was embarrassing, humiliating, and made you angry. And you thought your dad was a loser and a drunk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had had more bitterness inside of me, Jay. Uh, And I don't even think I realized it for many years. Because there's a point where I had to pivot from my dad and 
what he had done for me in my life or not done to I have a life to go live myself. And I, I definitely felt that when I got married and then when I got the job at ESPN and then moving to Connecticut and sort of starting this career and this journey and the success, especially from the eyes of, of the world, seeing me, you know, achieve a job like that. I had a kind of uh, pivot from from being sad and feeling sorry for myself and going to live my own life. But deep down for many, many years, the bitterness just kind of sat there. I talk about in the book about uh, this chapter called Boxes in the Attic. Mm. Right? Love and that chapter. I, I love that chapter. I have stepped over my own boxes and kicked <laughs> them around a bunch of times. Go ahead. The idea is that we all have, for the most of us, have this attic and we throw these things in boxes and we put, up, put them up in the attic and we store them up there. And sometimes we forget that they're even up there, up there. Sometimes we might not look at them again until we move or in many cases till somebody passes away and you start pulling out the memories. For me, I had these boxes of memories from my dad that I had stored and put in the attic of my life and just said, okay, I'm not going to pull those out anymore. But like I said, when you put something up in the attic in a box, eventually you got to pull it out and open it up and see what's inside. And for me, that's what it was. It was these memories these feelings, these emotions that I had towards my father. And I just kind of stored them up and put them away. And eventually you got to pull them back out. And usually when my dad um, would get, you know, drunk or call us and we would have these really bad phone calls, some of those memories were being pulled out. They weren't good ones. And so I would laugh, lash back out at my father. I would scream at him. I would, I would inflict or try to inflict the pain that he was inflicting on me right back to him, uh, which obviously looking back now, very, very unhealthy. And uh, it's not the right way to respond. But being angry, he said, uh, you know, sometimes that's okay. It's, as I wrote, I think it is okay to be angry. In fact, there's four parts to the book, and one of them is feeling the pain. You know, part of the pain is, is, is you know, that people inflict on you is allowing yourself to be angry over that. It's what we do once we get angry that can get, get us in trouble. And for me, my channeling of the anger was to store it in a box and put it in the attic or to just lash out and scream and yell instead of trying to handle this um, peacefully or just not handling it all. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm not proud of how I responded, to be quite honest with you, because a lot of people might say, Jay, that it was justified because of the pain he caused me. But I'm not proud that I responded that way, you know, especially after I I got serious about my faith and understood um, the faith that I have put my faith and trust in Christianity was about forgiveness. And I'm not proud that I I really couldn't forgive my dad, even after I understood and started to learn about forgiveness. And uh, I was lashing out and that wasn't very healthy. We're talking with Jason Romano. The book's called Live to Forgive. Moving forward, when those we love hurt us, uh, it's um, available at Amazon, bookstores near you. Get get yourself a copy. As a matter of fact, get yourself a number of copies because this is going to be one of those books that um, I believe that will help you and help those that you know move through their issues, especially because, uh, you know what, there's a lot of dysfunction out there. It's not just alcohol. There's a lot of, and, and there's a lot of dysfunction, and this book is going to really be helpful. I'm telling you, uh, just even for me, um, I found this book to be extraordinarily helpful to reopen my mind to some of the things that I tried to ignore. And um, it, it's, it's, it just has been an eye-opener. It's very powerful. So I really recommend, again, it's called Live to Forgive. 
So we, our next bathroom moment really is, <laughs> I, should say, <laughs> I should say, our next boundary moment is a Cayuga Community, Cayuga, Cayuga Community, Cayuga, yeah, yeah. Community College. You go to broadcast school because one of the things uh, is that you said going away was vital for my health and growth as a man. And the truth of the matter is you loved broadcasting and you wanted to work in radio and more specifically, you wanted to work in sports media. And so uh, what was happening was that you go to college, you had a roommate, you were still around some alcohol <laughs> and I, I, I was, yeah, yeah, but you were, you were able to say, I'm not drinking, right? Because, um, the, because th- this had affected you so much that you said, no, I, I I'm, I'm not going to do yeah. this. And, and as a matter of fact, what happens is, and, and I don't mean for this to sound funny, but you're actually walking down a staircase and some guy randomly punches you, right? Who was, yeah, who was yeah. drunk, right? And you go back into the party, and you just you you break. I lost it. Yeah, that was. It's funny. I think back to those years, and uh, you know, the pandemic allows you to kind of re to think about those old days and rehash them and reminisce a little bit. And uh, I've been doing a lot of that in the last three, four months, not just with those times, but just where I was, certainly from a sports perspective and from a from a journey with my family and all that. But that moment, man, and I wasn't going to put that book initially. And I remember bringing it up. Steve, my co-author and I were going through it and he goes, just tell me the story. And so I told him what happened. And in essence, I lived with actually two other guys at the time. My this is my freshman year of college, so I'm 18. I'm just a young buck alone on his own for the first time, and but starting to grow, starting to grow up, starting to understand what it means to live on your own and to be responsible uh, and to go to college and all that. And you know, the house that we lived in, just to be quite honest, was was a house that we had a lot of parties and there was a lot of uh, drinking and other things taking place at these at these houses at least a couple times a week. And yeah, since I was a kid, I always just didn't want to drink. And so I never had that that pressure in high school. And uh, when I went to college, I just, I think part of, I'm so thankful to God that he gave me a, uh, a desire to not enjoy alcohol. Like I don't enjoy the taste of it at all. I have tried it and tried it on a couple occasions to try to drink more than just like a sip. And it just was, it's just not my thing. So I'm glad for that. And that helped in telling people when I was in college, I don't drink and I'm not going to have any alcohol. But I also started to realize during those years that the more I told people that my dad was an alcoholic, the more of an easy excuse it came to say that so that people wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't question it. You know, if I didn't drink, they might call me a square or call me a dork or whatever um, and try to peer pressure me into it. But when I told people about my dad, they stopped right away mm. and they pressure me. So we were we were there one night. This was late in the school year, probably in April of my freshman year. And we had this house party that was going on pretty late. It's probably after midnight. And there was a guy there. There was a bunch of people there I didn't know. But there was a guy who was coming down the staircase from probably from the bathroom. 
And uh, he comes down the stairs and he looks at me and I look at him and I just said, hey, what's up, man? Uh, and just trying to be friendly. And he looked at me and thought I must have called him the worst name in the world because he said, what did you say? <laughs> and I said, I'm just saying hi. And he goes, what? And nails me right in the face. And, uh, you know, I'm not Jay. I'm a lover, not a fighter, man. I'm not the one who's going to start <laughs> going down with people. It's just not who I am. And so he hit me and I was kind of caught off guard and he just kind of kept walking. There was nobody else around. It was in the sort of four-year area of this house that we were living in. And he hit me, and I, I was kind of shocked by it. It didn't really hurt. This kind of scared me, I guess. And I went and walked into the other room, and I was talking to my roommate, Eddie, who's still a great friend of mine, and a couple other guys. And, uh, and we were just talking, and he goes, what's wrong? And I said, this guy just punched me in the face. And right when I said that, I started bawling. And, you know... 18 years old and you're around your buddies and you're at a party and you, you know for me i was dude i'm like I, it doesn't cry and i started losing it but credit to ed and credit to my other friends they all went to bat for me they consoled me and then they wanted to find the dude who hit me <laughs> it was great and i'm like all right they're going to bat we're gonna have a, a, a knockdown drag out here and apparently after he hit me, he left and they couldn't find him and i i found out who it was later didn't know him and probably never saw him again after that moment. But it, it showed me a couple things, Jay. It showed me, I, I think I cried because, A, I was embarrassed, certainly, that I told the story to someone. B, I think hidden down deep below in the surface of my, of my, my life was, uh, here we go again with alcohol. And my dad kind of, all that he had done and gone through and pain that he had caused me, kind of rearing its ugly head in one moment, just kind of being punched in the face by somebody who had been drinking. And yeah, there was a lot of emotions. And when I told the story to my co-author, Steve, he's like, we got to put this in the book and let's unpack this. Right. And I said, okay, let's try. Um, you know, that's one of those boxes in the attic memories for sure. We brought it back out. Uh, his name is Jason Romano and uh, the book's called Live to Forgive, Moving Forward When Those We Love Hurt Us. And you are listening to him here on a new direction. Hey folks, you know, our sponsors, uh, Epic Physical Therapy and of course, Linda Craft and Team Realtors. Listen, I want to talk about Epic Physical Therapy because their facility offers the most advanced top of the line equipment, including the Alter-G anti-gravity treadmill, which by the way, you can, it just takes the pressure off your joints and you can still run. And I, I can't speak for your joints, but I can tell you that when it comes to my joints, anything I can get to take pressure off my joints just feels better. All right. That's just the truth, right? They also have the Normatec compression sleeves, the Game Ready, which I tell you every week how much I love that frozen water compression, you know, just takes all the swelling out. Oh, man, is it awesome. I just love it. That's just a few of the things that they have. Listen, they are trained and certified in the most comprehensive cutting-edge treatments available, including things like blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling. Oh, man, is that great. And then how about cupping? You know, have you ever seen the swimmers on the Olympics, you know, have those little circles on their backs? It's called cupping. What they do is they're actually manipulating the muscle with cups through the skin. Amazing. Telling you, it works. I love it. Listen, they, they are amazing. So why don't you learn how they can make you more epic? Because if you want epic relief, epic recovery, and epic results, then go to epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C pt.com and linda craft and team realtors look here's the deal 35 years they have been serving 
people in the Research Triangle Park community. That's uh, the area called Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. Um, you know them because of the three big universities that surround this area. But Linda Kraft and her team have been serving their community, and they've been doing it since 1985. And here's the thing. Their clients, the very first client from 1985, still comes to see her. Why? Well, it's because, as they say, they say, you know what? Her customer service is legendary. It's just absolutely legendary. And the reason why is because Linda started her company in 1985, building one relationship at a time. And 35 years later, you know what? That's still what they do. So if you come into uh, 7300 Six Forks Road there in Raleigh, I can promise you the first thing they're going to do is they're going to say, do you want a bottle of water? <laughs> Before they even talk about real estate, because they want to connect with you and they know that even though this may be the largest personal investment that you make in your life, the truth of the matter is your home is where memories are made and they want to be part of those memories. And, you know, we may forget about the home, but we never will forget those memories. And so why don't you talk to the memory makers? Why don't you talk to Linda Craft and her team, right? And you can learn more, more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction uh, with Jason Romano. Yes, former producer ESPN Jason Romano. Uh, he is with us. Uh, live to forgive uh, moving forward when those we love hurt us. By the way, the, I, I need to say this, uh, Jason. The forward mm. is written by Daryl Strawberry. And I, I am a little older than you. And I, uh, I, I, I was a Daryl Strawberry fan, even though I was a Yankee fan. I, mm -hmm. was a, I was a Daryl Strawberry fan. And th there's a story behind that because I had well, to. Well, he played with the Yankees too, so yeah, well, there's he that, did. right? Yeah, he did. But here's the thing. <laughs> so my mother's side of the family were Mets fans, and my father's side of the family were Yankees fans. Oh, yeah. Sounds <laughs> like a divided household. It was, it was brutal. So, but yeah. here's, I learned how to get the dollar from both grandfathers by naming all the players on both teams, right? So you yeah. go to the house, right? And I could name, you know, Eddie Cranepool and John Stearns and, you know, Felix Mion and John Matlack and Tom Seaver and Cleon Jones, and, right? Rusty Staub, Joe Torrey at third. I could go through the whole thing, right? But then I could go over to the other side, you know, Greg Nettles, you know, you know, I, I could just, I could just run, you know, Dwight Wine. I, I could just run through the whole, the whole thing. And I just got my dollar. That's how you do it. You work both sides. But I really did love Daryl Strawberry and his, uh, by the way, his, um, forward is absolutely awesome, uh, in of itself. I thought it was extraordinarily powerful and, um, just great. And it, what, how special for you that both Daryl Strawberry and, uh, Doc Gooden, Dwight Gooden, uh, were able to be instrumental in your life and in your father's life, actually, in, yeah. in a very real way. Um, and so I, I just want to point that out. I want to move us forward because the one thing there is a theme since college, you get you go to college and then, you know, what's interesting is you get you you meet your wife and, the, you know, you you're working at the radio station. You try once to get on ESPN, you don't get the job, and then two years later you you get the job and, and you're working yep. for ESPN. But there's one theme that happens from college all the way through uh, to from your marriage to even being on the air. And that is your dad calls you at night <laughs> regularly in a those dreaded phone calls. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I and by the way, we cannot say because this show is a clean show, by the way, we cannot say the words that his father used. And, and by the way, Jason doesn't even write the words out. He, he, he lets you know with the first letter, what the words were. Let me tell you, they were far from complimentary. 
How about no, that? Sure. Yeah. And he was, I mean, and he would manipulate the crap out of you, man. I mean, he, he would, I mean, he would say he's going to kill himself and then he would say, you know, he'd be drunk and he would, you know, curse and swear at you. And, you know, and you went through a variety of emotions. I did. Uh, I mean, the phone call that stands out when you bring up phone calls is probably 2003 and again, it involves sports, Jay. Right. And it's, right. you know, I'm, I'm working at ESPN at the time and the Cowboys and the giants are playing on a Monday night and it's Bill Parcells as the Cowboys coach returning to the Giants. And it's a big game. And, you know, I was working on this show called Game Night on ESPN Radio. And we're getting ready to cover the game. And then my dad calls. And I didn't know it's my dad at first because there's no caller ID. And it calls into the main hotline number <laughs> at ESPN. So I have to answer it for my job. And the last person I'm expecting to hear is my father. And he calls, and I'm thinking, how in the world did you get this number? It's a toll-free number. Uh, and maybe that's how he got it from someone. I don't know how he got it. But he got it, and he called, and I answered, and I could tell pretty early on that he was on influence. And I asked him very nicely, though. I said, listen, I, I, I can't talk right now. I'm working, which means I have to go back to work. And, you know, I work at a pretty large company that isn't just going to allow me in the middle of a sporting event to stop unless you're literally dying or something's bad and I need to go. And it was bad, but it wasn't that. And so I politely told him, please don't call anymore. At least three or four more times that night, my dad called. He was drunk. He was angry. His, his sports team was losing and my sports team was winning. So his, way of calling was to scream and yell and right. make fun of my team. Cause he knew if he did that, that that would get under my skin. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to produce a show. I'm trying to get this show going for a national audience on the radio. I have no idea how many thousands of people are listening. Plenty were. And yet I'm dealing with this call from my father and it kept going. Lo and behold, the Cowboys won the game on this miraculous field goal and overtime that, should have never taken place. The Giants should have won the game in regulation. And I found myself in the studio at ESPN <laughs> while I'm working, cheering openly and loudly <laughs> that Dallas won. And listen, everybody's allowed to have their teams that they root for at ESPN. But when you're in the middle of work, you try to table those <laughs> those fan, um, the, the teams that you love, let's put it that way, the fan side of you, you table that and you try to be professional. Well, I was anything but, and I screamed, yelled, yes, yes. And I realized I was screaming and yelling, yes, because I deep down knew that my dad was upset that the Giants had lost, and he was feeling pain. And it was my way of saying, yes, give, you know, inflict this pain on this man right now because he's doing these things to me, and I want him to suffer. Mm. This is how, how deranged I was. <laughs> Lo and behold, 20 minutes later after the game ends, my dad one last time calls and I say, ESPN radio, this is Jason. That's how I answered the, the phone. And he's like, Hey Jason, I can't believe your team is the luckiest. And before he could say anything, I laughed as loud as I could for about 10 seconds in his ear. It was 1230 in the morning. Everybody pretty much at ESPN was gone. And I just started laughing really loud and I said, I'm so glad your team lost. And click. 
hung the phone up. I wanted control the relationship with my father. I did not want him to ever get the last word. Mm. I did not want him to uh, feel like he had won whatever game we were trying to play. I wanted him to feel pain and I wanted to have the upper hand on him. And again, this is how sick it was at that time, but this is how angry I was. And I didn't know how to process or deal with a lot of that anger. And the only time my dad and I really communicated was at least for the most part, I would say 90% of the time was phone calls because he lived too far away and I didn't want him seeing, you know, my daughter and I didn't want to spend a lot of time with him because of the situation of him drinking. So it was phone calls and yeah, that very thing, that sports thing that should bring us together in a Cowboys Giants game and have this cool moment with father and son was just continuing to tear us apart. But it's, you know, you, you go through this and you talk about that even though you weren't really proud of your responses, but this is truly the result of pain. Yes. This, this, I mean, right. I don't want people to miss that. A lot of times what happens is our, our, our reactions or actions to those who have hurt us, especially those we love who have hurt us. Yeah. We're, this is undealt with pain. It really was. I mean, I, I hadn't, I was still new in my faith and my faith plays an important role in this story because I did not grow up as a man who took his faith seriously. And then I became a Christian in 2001 at 26 years old and got very serious about my faith and started to kind of understand what I meant to have a relationship with the Lord and, and things like that. We're trying to, you know, we're beginning to enter into my life and it was great, but I never dealt with the pain. I didn't know, uh, in a healthy way, how to do that. I did go to therapy as in, in counseling as a kid, as my, you know, a 12, 13, 14 year old. And, uh, that helped certainly, you know, my mom took us to that and she almost forced us to go <laughs> and I'm glad she did. But as I got older into my twenties and my thirties, this pain was being suppressed and I really didn't know how to, how to deal with it. My way of dealing with pain was either to store it in a box in the attic and not deal with it or to lash back out at my father. That was the way of dealing the pain, dealing with the pain. And I think if I had sought counseling in those 20s and 30s years, just thinking back now, I probably would have been able to at least function differently and, 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 and you know, I, I write in the book, feeling the pain, evaluating the trauma and transforming the wound. I would have been able to transform this wound, I think, a little differently if I had some counseling or had somebody I could talk to about it um, from a professional perspective. Unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, and faith eventually, and my faith in the Lord, you know, and that journey with God is really what took me to a point to finally forgive him. But it took a long, long time. You, you, matter of fact, you talk about this intersection, basically, between your unforgiveness and your dad's drinking. That there is that this was this was an intersection because there was actually kind of a parallel here that you saw between, you know, you know, you, you yeah. said, I always thought I forgave my dad and I always thought that was the case. Uh, and, but the truth was I really hadn't, you know, I, I thought what really needed to change was he needed to stop drinking. And, um, you use a CS Lewis quote at one point, you said, 
everything, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea, idea until he has something to forgive. Yeah. Right. right? There's another version of that. I think it says everybody can agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Yeah. Right. It's, that's a second CS Lewis quote on the same topic and it's basically the same thing. Yeah. I mean, for me, my dad, you know, uh, in those moments as I'm growing and learning about being a Christian, I'm reading about forgiveness. You know, that's like the ultimate sacrifice of Christ going to the cross as a Christian. Like that's the that's the that's the point, right? And that he gets resurrected in in, in a couple of days, and that's like the whole idea of Easter and the whole idea of Good Friday and the whole idea of salvation. Forgiveness. God, forgive me for I made a mistake, right? God, forgive me for I have sinned. I have messed up. Um, and then asking God to forgive us and then restore us. But then he also, if you, if anybody grew up in any Catholic church or any other kind of church, you know, they remember the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And there's a moment where you say, forgive us our trespasses, God, as we forgive those who trespass against us. So I'm praying this prayer, God, forgive me then help me forgive those who have hurt me. That was the hard part. And my dad, I, I could not see. I thought my dad, I thought for many, many years after becoming a Christian that when I allowed my dad back into my life, right? So he calls and he's sober and I talk to him and we have this nice chat about the Celtics or the NFL or something that I had forgiven him. So yeah, dad, I've forgiven you because I'm allowing you back into my life. But the second he was drunk, the second he had another drink and he would call and he would lash out again, I would be bitter about this, clearly, and I would scream and yell and inflict that pain back onto him. If that's not as clear as day that I hadn't forgiven him, I don't know what is. Because <laughs> in, in Ephesians 4, the Bible, Paul, the apostle, says that we are to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. But the part before that, it actually says that we are to let all bitterness and anger, and wrath, be put away from us, all of it, along with all malice, if I'm quoting it exactly. And then it says, be kind, tenderhearted, and forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we're supposed to let this anger, we're supposed to put it all away from us, not let it go per se, but put it away from us, and forgive. And I'm thinking, well, how the heck do you do that? How do you forgive someone who's made you so angry and continues to make you angry? But the more I read it, and the more I understood what the Gospels were saying, what Paul was saying in, in the epistles in the New Testament of the Bible, I'm, I'm realizing forgiveness isn't about my dad. Forgiveness is about me and being able to be free from any bitterness and anger and wrath and all the emotions that I was experiencing. So this forgiveness was never about my dad, you know, getting sober and stopping the drinking and getting help or whatever, it was always about me. And when I wasn't forgiving, when I was choosing not to forgive, I believe it's a choice on both sides. It's like I was entrapped in this anger and this bitterness. And I had these, you know, shackles on my body and my, my body was literally inside a cage and I couldn't get out because I was holding on to this anger and bitterness for so many years. And so, man, that's what, that's what I was struggling with. And it took me a very long time, as I said, and it took me till just seven years ago or so. I was 40 years old when when I finally came to a point to forgive my dad because I realized it wasn't about him. And here we are today. And uh, there's a picture in the back of the book with you and dad 
at a Celtics game. Yeah. And um, you're still working through it. I don't want to give away the whole thing because I think people need to read the book. But um, the relationship is on the mend, um, and it has been. Yeah, I call it um, I call it repair mode. <laughs> and I think our relationship will be in repair mode for probably the rest of our lives. You know, forgiveness, when I finally was able to forgive my dad, I've realized it's not this instantaneous moment where you forgive and, you know, you put it in the microwave, you put the time on, and then when it's done, you pull it out and uh, voila, all finished. Like, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a process. It's a daily dying to yourself. It's It's a daily... It's a daily journey to say, hey, I'm going to choose to forgive this man every single time I talk to him or every day and remember that it's not about him. It helps, as you say, that we were able to reconcile and I won't give it away. I'll let people, you know, kind of dive in if they want to hear the rest of the story. But we have been able to reconcile. And I want to say one more thing too, Jay. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. I had to make a choice to forgive my dad whether or not we were able to repair our relationship. And that's something that really, that was really hard. I had to come to a point where, listen, if we never talk again, I have to release this pain and, and forgive him for all that he did. Thankfully, we were able to kind of spend time in that repairing of our relationship and come to a point now where, like you said, we're working through it, but it's, it's not where it was, thankfully. And, um, you know, my dad's doing a lot better and, you know, that's, that's a blessing. It really is. You know, J- Jason, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I never have an idea of what the expectations are going to be for a show. Right. I just kind of, it's always out of my hands. I always, I always tell people it's never in my hands as much as, you know, I like to think it is. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta tell you, this show has been, uh, far greater than I could have ever hoped or imagined. Um, and I want to thank you uh, personally, first of all, for agreeing to be on the show. So thank you for doing that. Secondly, for writing this powerful book that I believe is going to help so many people all over the world um, live to forgive uh, moving forward when those we love hurt us. Uh, it's absolutely a phenomenal book. Uh, and, and people need it just to heal. Uh, you need to heal you. I mean, you heard him say it there as well. So, Jason, the one thing that I do, and I've kind of pre-warned you about this as we come to the end of our show, because we've been on over an hour together. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's been a lot of fun for me. I've enjoyed it thoroughly, and so I, I can't express my gratitude enough. But I told you, I said, you know, the show's called A New Direction because we try to help people find a new direction in their life or their career or their business. And based on live to forgive, moving forward when those we love hurt us, what would be the new direction that Jason Romano would leave with the audience? I think the new direction, hopefully for all of us, including myself, is that we continue to remind ourselves that, you know, empathy, number one, is a game changer. I think about the the world that we're living in right now, and I think about my relationship with my father. And the more empathetic we can be, the more that it will allow us to take ourselves out of the equation in the sense of thinking everything revolves around us. You know, that's a new direction for all of us, I think, that we could really um, take forward steps towards. Because I always, for many years, with my relationship with my father, thought it was about what he had done to me, not what he was going through. I never cared about what he was going through. I cared about him getting better so that our relationship 
would be better and that I would not have to deal with what he was doing to me. So it was about me. And with empathy, it's changed. And now I'm looking at him from his perspective and thinking, man, this man was suffering and in a lot of pain for 40 plus years. Mm. And when I saw it from his perspective and started to have that empathy, it changed everything. And so my thinking here is a new direction for all of us would be to just have a little more empathy. And I know we've been talking about forgiveness for an hour, but the idea of empathy for me led me to be able to forgive my father. And so I would say, let's, let's be more empathetic and let's look towards living a life of empathy wherever it takes us. I love that. His name is Jason Romano. The book's called Live to Forgive. By the way, he's got a new book coming that just has come out, come out called The Uniform of Leadership. Please, uh, on the blog write-up that I do with the show, I will have links to both books, as a matter of fact, so that you can uh, check out both books, Live to Forgive, as well as The Uniform of Leadership. And I will also have links to uh, Jason's website so that you can reach out to him. Jason is extraordinarily giving uh, when it comes to reaching out to him. I can tell you that firsthand because I'm a nobody and he... Uh, for whatever reason, his heart was, yeah, I'll do the show. So I am, but we're both nobodies, Jay. Because <laughs> I'm a nobody, butter, brother. <laughs> so, so I do appreciate it. So, folks, you know what? That's the show. You know what I say every week. You know, be inspired because when you're inspired, that means you can inspire other people, and when they're inspired, that means in turns they can inspire others as well, and that can make this world an amazing place. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest, another great book, and it's going to be another great show. And as I say to you, everybody, every week, ciao, everybody. confidence and the answers don't make sense you got to keep your hope alive you got to know you can survive this is your time to find a new direction a brand new day a new direction things are gonna change Dreams will take you places you have never been before Find your passion, find your strength Don't worry anymore A new direction A new direction